A little background here before we dive in. The fourth year of Jehoiakim, which he mentions, is in the year 605 B.C., and when I teach uh, Old Testament survey, I don't make them memorize a bunch of dates, but this is one I have them memorize because this is the watershed in Old Testament history. This is the year that a, a guy named Nabopolassar, you might not have heard of, he dies. Big, you know, so what? Well, this is what. His son, who you have heard of, Nebuchadnezzar, takes over. And he, uh, he actually defeats the Assyrians, the Egyptians at a place called Carchemish, and the power shifts in the Middle East. And uh, so this is kind of a nervous thing for Judah because they've been aligned with the Egyptians. In fact, Jehoiakim was put on the throne by the Egyptians. And now the Egyptians have been defeated, so they're wondering what's next, right? And, so, uh, and then Jeremiah has been forbidden to, forbidden to enter the temple. And you may remember why, but I'll remind you, it's been a while ago. Jeremiah 7, the temple sermon where they have, the, you know, they have the temple as kind of a superstitious charm, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, as long as the temple's there, we're okay. That sermon, and then you may remember in chapter 24 where a certain guy keeps him from being, Jeremiah from being lynched, right? And so the aftermath of that is they just said to Jeremiah, you can't come here anymore. So he can't go to the temple. So he dictates all of his prophecies to Baruch, Baruch's from a family of scribes. Now, you probably didn't read it this closely, but if you look at verse 1, it's the fourth year of Jehoiakim. By the time they're done in verse 9, it's the fifth year of Jehoiakim. In other words, you read Jeremiah? And what? That's a big book, right? They spend a year dictating every prophecy the guy's ever gotten, right? And Baruch's there, okay, okay, slow down. Okay, yeah, yeah, I got it, got it, right? He writes the whole thing down, right? Then... He sends Baruch, verse 6, to the temple to read a prophecy. So in other words, God is sending his word through Baruch. So we're going to read the story this morning, but I want you to remember that the people who are reading the book of Jeremiah have the same perspective we do. They know what happens. They know that what Jeremiah predicts comes true. The hearers of the story know the outcome just like we do. So read it that way, understanding, even though we're going to see the narrative as it unfolds. All right? So here we go. God's sending his word through Baruch. We're going to talk about this morning that God, God's word prevails. In fact, God's word will always prevail. The question is not God's word. The question is, how will we respond to God's word? So there's several ways to respond to God's word. The first way that Jeremiah tells us that they responded to God's word is apathy. So read verses 8 to 10. So Baruch, son of Neriah, did everything Jeremiah the prophet told him to do. At the Lord's temple, he read the words of the Lord from the scroll. In the ninth month of the fifth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, a time of fasting before the Lord was proclaimed for all the people in Jerusalem and those who had come from the towns of Judah. Why had they come from Judah? I'll tell you in a minute. From the room of Gemariah, son of Shaphan, the secretary, which was in the upper courtyard at the entrance of the new gate of the temple, Baruch read to all the people at the Lord's temple the words of Jeremiah from the scroll. 
So now Baruch is really more than a scribe. He's a disciple of Jeremiah. Verse 9, they proclaim a fast. Why? Well, it could be famine, but we know that this same year, Nebuchadnezzar didn't stop when he defeated the Assyrians up at Carchemish, up in Syria, he starts coming down the coast and there were a number of Philistine cities that still were surviving with Philistines in them. One of them was Ashkelon and Nebuchadnezzar, we know historically, has just devastated Ashkelon. He's just smashed that city and if you remember, those who have been, been here for a while, they always come down the coast because there's a bunch of hills and ravines, and then they come up the ravines into Judah to surround Jerusalem. So the picture we get is Nebuchadnezzar's come down the coast, he smashed Ashkelon, and they're like, we need to fast. <laughs> we need to fast and pray right there. Okay, we gotta pray now. And so he's close to Judah, and remember, Judah right now is still under the Egyptians, and they are the mortal enemies of Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, okay, so the... The friend of my enemy is my enemy. Yeah, right. So they are nervous about this. Now, there's some detail here that I'll admit to you. The first couple times I read Jeremiah, it kind of went over my head, right? But uh, I traced it out for you, all right? So just to keep track of these names, Gemariah, son of Shaphan, provides a room for Baruch's reading. He's related to the guy that saved Jeremiah from the lynch mob in chapter 26. They're both sons of Shaphan. And so you, you get the picture, there's, there's one good family in this kingdom, right? And so they proclaim a fast, and, uh, and they're in the temple, they're fasting, trouble's coming, God sends his word, they read it, and they do nothing. Now, let me give you a little comparison here. Jehoiakim's a bad king, but aside from Gemariah and a few others supporting Jeremiah, no one responds. Now, let me give you another example just to give you a feel for what could have happened. Some of you have read this, maybe not everyone, but in Ezra chapter 10, a little later in their history, there's a lot of sin in Judah, and Ezra is so grieved, he goes into the temple and prays. And by the end of the prayer, there is hundreds of people surrounding him, convicted, confessing, and saying, what must we do? Now we have a temple full of people, a powerful word from Jeremiah, and hardly anyone does anything. Isn't this odd? They're fasting. The enemy's at the door. The word of God comes forth and not a word of repentance. That's apathy. I want to always trust the Lord, but that's my fear for the North American church. Same thing over and over. Dot-com bust in the 80s, COVID, now, unrest, Will we recognize the word of the Lord? Will we hear God's word? You know, C.S. Lewis has a humorous comment. I can't remember which book it's in. Um, I think it's in Letters to Malcolm, but it might be in another book. Anyway, he says, he says he'll be in his devotions praying 
and he'll begin to feel conviction about something. But then a voice in his head says, oh, wait a minute, now don't dive in too deep. You don't want to make promises and devotions that'll be uncomfortable to keep this afternoon, you know? Like maybe a really witty response to some, you know, person he doesn't like, or, you know, maybe God's convicted. Oh, no, maybe I can't do it. If I really make promises to God now, now what, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the problem, right? I mean, you want to be a Christian, right? You want to be a believer, but, I mean, you don't want to make any promises that, you know, be hard to keep. <laughs> apathy. So the first way to respond to God's word is apathy. But there's another way to respond to God's word, a positive one. The second way to respond to God's word is reverence. Read verse 11. Now we're going to hear about the supporters of Jeremiah. When Micaiah, son of Gemariah, there's Gemariah again, his son, the son of Shaphan, there's Grandpa Shaphan, heard all the words of the Lord from the scroll, he went down to the secretary's room in the royal palace where all the officials were sitting. Um, Elishama, the secretary, Deliah, son of Shemaiah, and there's Shemaiah again, El-Nathan, son of Akbor, Gamariah, son of Shaphan, so he was there too. Zedekiah, son of Hananiah, and all the other officials. After Micaiah told them everything he heard Baruch read to the people from the scroll, all the officials sent Yehudi, son of, uh, sorry, uh, Nathaniah, son of Shalamiah, the son of Cushi, to say to Baruch, bring the scroll from which you've read to the people and come. So they want to talk to him, right? So Baruch, son of Neriah, went to them with the scroll in his hand. They said to him, sit down, please, and read it to us. So Baruch read it to them. When they heard all these words, they looked at each other in fear and said to Baruch, we got to report these words to the king. So then they asked Baruch, now tell us, how did you come to write all this? Did Jeremiah dictate this? They know Jeremiah, right? All right like, you know, he's like, yep. <laughs> Baruch replied, he dictated all these words to me and wrote them in the ink on the scroll. Then the official said to Baruch, oh my gosh, you and Jeremiah, go and hide. Don't let anyone know where you are. Right? So what's going on? Gemariah is a part of the family that's supportive of revival. His father and brother were part of King Josiah, the righteous King Josiah's cabinet, his leadership cabinet in 2 Kings twenty-two twelve. And his brother Ahikam is the one who kept Jeremiah alive from the lynch mob in Jeremiah 26, 24. And we read early, we just read in verses 11 and 12, his son Micaiah is the one that goes to the royal officials. They send for more men. They know who is supportive of orthodoxy in Israel, right? And their response is fear. Why do good men fear? Because they have to tell the king. They're loyal to God. They're perceptive, right? They understand Jeremiah is behind this. So their plan is to hide Jeremiah and Baruch. What's the point? They're good men in a bad time. They cannot get rid of the king without disloyalty to the throne, yet right now the throne is evil. Now we're looking at Jeremiah. We're not looking at the book of Kings. But looking at the book of Kings, you can read with insight the huge difference between northern Israel and Judah. Northern Israel, every four generations, has a revolution like some uh, Central American republic in the 70s and 80s, 
right? Revolution after revolution and instability. And they know they can't do that, both because it's wrong and because God's got a call on the house of Judah. So they know that revolution is not the answer. They know that what they need is revival. Indulge me for a moment. There's an old Jesus rock song. Uh, you can burn all the governments down, you, feel, you still won't find release, right? The problem of the human heart is not solved externally. And they understand that. What's the point to the original readers, the Jews? These men were right. The readers know what happened, and so do we. So what's the lesson for us? When everything is falling apart, trust God's word. They face times when the powers of their government supported evil. We face that too with abortion and other issues. So we trust God's word and do what we can to build the church and prepare for awakening and revival. As the word came forth earlier, prophetically, don't despair. Do what you can. Act redemptively. You know, sometimes it's like, any, anybody else take chemistry in high school or college? Okay. Remember Bunsen burners? Right? And you heat up the test tube. You heat up the test tube when you're trying to do something new. Right? You're trying to have a transformation. Right? That's what God is like. When the divine chemist turns on the Bunsen burner and things get hot, get ready. God is changing direction. God is acting in the larger society. God is, if his, his people are ready, we can cooperate with what God is doing. Amen? The second way to respond to God's word is reverence. There's one other way to respond to God's word. The third way to respond to God's word is opposition. Read verses 20 to 26. So after they put the scroll in the room of Elishema, the secretary, they went to the king in the courtyard and reported everything to him. That's what they had to do. That was their job. The king sent Yehudi to get the scroll, and Yehudi brought it from the room of Elishema, the secretary, read it to the king and all the officials standing beside him. It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter apartment with a fire burning in a fire pot in front of him. Whenever Yehudi had read three or four columns out of the scroll... The king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them in the fire pot until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes, which would be a sign of repentance. Even though, here's a gutsy guy, Elnathan, Deliah, and Gamariah urged the king, don't burn the scroll, (laughs) it's God's word, that he would not listen to them. Instead, the king commanded Jeremiel, son of the king, Sariah, son of Azariah, and Shelemiah, son of Abdeel, to arrest Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet, but the Lord had hidden them. The king and his attendants don't fear God. Man, God blessed those guys in verse 25, right? It'd be very easy to say, well, we hid Jeremiah, we did our thing, okay, I'm just going to keep my head down. They spoke. Gutsy. Love it. How does God respond? Read verse 27. I love this. 
After the king burned the scroll containing the words that Baruch had written at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, take another scroll and write on all the words around the first scroll, <laughs> which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, burned up. Good, tough luck there, Jehoiakim, right? Also tell Jehoiakim, king of Judah, this is what the Lord says. You burned that scroll and said, why did you write on it that the king of Babylon would certainly come and destroy this land? and cut off both men and animals from it. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim, king of Judah. He will have no one to sit on the throne of David. His body will be thrown out and exposed to the heat by day and the frost by night. I will punish him and his children and his attendants for their wickedness. I will bring on them and those living in Jerusalem and the people of Judah every disaster I pronounced against them because they've not listened. So Jeremiah took another scroll, gave it to the scribe Baruch, son of Neriah, and as Jeremiah dictated, Baruch wrote, it all on, wrote on it all the words of, of the scroll that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And many similar words were added as well. God restores his word, intensifies his judgment, and adds to his word. God's word prevails. Now what's interesting is the readers of this book during the exile, know this. They've seen judgment come. They've seen judgment come particularly on Jehoiakim, who disappears in the middle of um, a siege, maybe assassinated, maybe suicide, we don't know. They can see that God did it all. So the point for them and the point for us is trust God's word. You can try to oppose God's word, good luck. Remember the new atheist about 10 years back? Richard Dawkins and the, and the boys there? Even other atheists didn't think they did a good job. <laughs> they got critiqued by everybody. <laughs> other waves of unbelief will pass through society. Maybe more violence, I hope not. But God will restore his word through a believing remnant. It looked grim in Jeremiah's time. But look at today, with, even with all the trouble, one in nine people in the world today are believers in Jesus Christ. Look what God has done and is doing. Look at what God has done. You know, I used to, one of my friends, I, um, he'd say, well, you know, is it, is it that the church is in revival toward the end of the age? How do you read Daniel and Revelation? Or is it that there's more trouble toward the end? And he finally concluded, which I think correctly, both. <laughs> there's more trouble, but there's more revival. A third way to respond to God's word is opposition, not a good way. So God's word prevails. Some are apathetic, some fight it. But we need to revere his word and trust. And I'm going to ask you, what is your point of trust today? This is a time to trust God's word and build for genuine spiritual renewal. It's a time to love of course, every person, but especially to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Revival is a life of obedience combined with a sovereign move of the Holy Spirit. Revival is a life of obedience combined with a sovereign move of the Holy Spirit. In faith, we can live the life of obedience and pray for the sovereign moving of the Holy Spirit. As we close I'm going to invite you to come and pray for revival, 
for healing of our nation, for the salvation of the lost. Stand with me. One note, practical note for those that are guests. Uh, if you want to send us an email, if you're concerned about COVID, we'll let you know if there's ever been any positive cases on this Sunday. We would email you and let you know that. You can send us your email, Sojourn Campus, or uh, contact at sojourncampuschurch.org. Um, so as we close, again, inviting you, this is a time to pray. This is a time to ask God to continue the awakening already that's beginning to occur in South Minneapolis. So I invite you to come, even as I give a benediction, feel free to come. And so those of us that are joining us online, we invite your prayers as well. May the blood of Christ transform hearts. May the blood of Christ heal the body of Christ and convert our nation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.